0: Hello everyone, welcome back to episode two of Hollow Week. I am so excited to be doing this case today and to be talking to you guys about this. This has been definitely up there on my highly requested cases list. Today we are talking about the brutal and gruesome murder of Elizabeth Short, otherwise known as the Black Dahlia. So this case has been one of true crime's biggest unsolved cases to date. And I always kind of knew the premise of this case, but I never knew the details of it until doing all of this research. So that is what we are going to be getting into today. This case is one of, like I said, the most infamous unsolved crime cases for Los Angeles and just in the United States in general. There have been books and movies and documentaries all on this case. There is one website in particular that I definitely recommend you guys check out. It was very useful to me throughout all of this research and that is blackdahlia.web.unc.edu. So I definitely recommend if this case interests you or if you wanna learn a little bit more about it, definitely go check out their website because they do an amazing job at really breaking down this case step-by-step and it was really helpful for me to use during my research. So with that being said, let's just jump right on into it. So Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts, to her parents Cleo and Phoebe Short. And Elizabeth was the third of five daughters, so she had two older sisters and two younger sisters as well. Growing up, Elizabeth and her sisters didn't have the easiest childhood. There was a stock market crash in 1929 and her family really, really struggled with money and were having a lot of financial problems. And in 1930, her dad actually faked his own death by staging his own suicide. And everyone in his family believed that he had died. So that just left Elizabeth's mother to support all of the five kids on her own. And in 1942, so about 12 years later, Elizabeth's father actually wrote a letter to her mother basically saying that he had started a brand new life in California. And this was when Elizabeth was 18 years old. So she decided she was going to move to Vallejo, California to live with her father. So mind you, this is extremely bizarre. I know I kind of just brushed over it, but Her father faked his own death and kind of just left her mother to fend for herself and support the entire family on her own while everyone thought that he was dead. And so now Elizabeth, who hasn't seen her father since she was six years old, decided to uproot and move her life to California to live with him. But Elizabeth did have her reasons. As a young girl and into her teenage years, Elizabeth was really interested in movies and in acting and everything that came along with that type of lifestyle and by her teenage years her dream was to become an actress. And a lot of people believe that Elizabeth loved movies and theaters so much because she just really wanted to be able to escape from her own reality and jump right into someone else's. And people described Elizabeth as a very friendly girl. She was funny. She was outgoing. She was always up to talk to anyone. And along with that, she was really, really pretty, a really gorgeous girl. She had black hair and pale skin and these striking blue eyes. And people who knew her described her as definitely eye-catching. So Elizabeth moved out to California to live with her dad, but it didn't last too long because she ended up moving out in 1943 and she moved around to a couple different areas after that. She ended up living in what is now the Vandenberg Air Force Base, but back then it was known as Camp Cook. And then in mid-1943, she moved to Santa Barbara, California. She ended up getting arrested in Santa Barbara though for underage drinking and then the juvenile authorities sent her back to Boston Massachusetts but she decided to move to Florida instead but ultimately she ended up relocating to Los Angeles in 1946 and had gotten a job as a waitress at a nightclub in Hollywood and had been taking a few modeling jobs here and there But she still wasn't acting and doing what she thought she was set out to do. So she was starting to feel a little discouraged. And since her family lived on the East Coast, she would go back and visit them on holidays. And when she did that, she ended up meeting a man named Major Mac. Gordon. And Elizabeth was head over heels for Matt. She thought that he was the guy that she had been waiting for her entire life. This was it. He was the one. He told her that they were going to get married. They were going to start a family. But unfortunately, Matt was killed after he was sent over to India. So Elizabeth obviously was extremely heartbroken over this. And in order to cope with everything that was going on, she started reaching out to some people that she knew in Hollywood, California. And in December of 19. 1946, Elizabeth actually took a bus from Los Angeles to San Diego and while she was in san diego she became pretty good friends with a woman named dorothy french and dorothy worked at the aztec theater and the two of them met there when elizabeth went to one of the shows that was being played at the aztec and elizabeth told dorothy her story of how she moved out to hollywood to become an actress but how it hadn't really worked out for her so dorothy kind of felt sorry for elizabeth and invited elizabeth to stay at her home with her and while she was in san diego she started hitting up the date scene again she went out to clubs she was having nights out and she ended up meeting a man named robert manley who also went by the name red so robert was a salesman from la and he had a pregnant wife Robert has admitted that he was attracted to Elizabeth, but the two of them never slept together, but they saw each other on and off for a couple of weeks. And on January 8th of 1947, Elizabeth asked Robert if he would pick her up from Dorothy French's home and drive her back to Hollywood, which Robert agreed to do So they get to Hollywood and he paid for her a hotel room for the night and the two of them actually ended up going to a party together. And Robert said that the two of them returned back at the hotel after the party and he slept on the bed while Elizabeth slept on the chair. When the two of them woke up the next morning on January 9th, Robert actually had an appointment that morning, and Elizabeth asked if Robert could pick her up from the hotel after his appointment to drop her off at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood, which Robert agreed to again, but he did not stay with Elizabeth after he dropped her off, so he went back to the hotel, picked up Elizabeth, drove her to the Biltmore Hotel, and dropped her off. This all happened about noon that day because he had an appointment later that day as well. So he also didn't wait for Elizabeth's sister to show up And the reason Elizabeth said that she wanted to go to the Biltmore Hotel is because her sister was going to be meeting her there. So when Robert dropped her off, he didn't really wait for Elizabeth's sister to show up. He just dropped her off and left. And Robert said when he left, Elizabeth was making phone calls in the lobby. And little did Robert know that this would be the last time he or anyone would ever see Elizabeth again. So January 9th at the Biltmore Hotel is the last time anyone remembers seeing Elizabeth. Her tracks really stop after that. No one knows what she did after she got dropped off, who she met up with, none of it. And it wasn't until six days later on January 15th, 1947, there was a woman named Betty Bursinger and she lived on Norton Avenue of Los Angeles. And on the morning of January 15th, she was going to a shoe repair shop and she took her three-year-old daughter with her and the two of them were walking to the shop together and they were walking on the sidewalk right by Lemert park so when they were walking betty noticed something white in the weeds but she didn't think too much of it she thought that it was just trash that someone had left behind but she turned and looked out of the corner of her eye and from what betty could tell it looked like a mannequin was laying in the grass but betty thought it was strange because the mannequin was separated into two he So she started to look more closely, and that's what she realized that what she thought was a mannequin was actually the body of a woman who had been cut in half so after she saw this she immediately ran over to a house nearby to call the police and when the lapd got to the scene something they noticed right off the bat is that this woman's body looked like it had been posed she was lying on her back with her arms raised over her shoulders and her legs were spread open and when looking closer police found that there were multiple other cuts and marks on her body including her mouth which had been sliced from ear to ear which some people call the joker smile because of the way it looked From first look, police believed that she had been tied down and tortured for multiple days because she had rope marks on her wrist, ankles, and her neck. And something to note about the way her waist was cut is that it was a clean cut, a completely clean cut just above her waist. There was also no blood in her body or on the grass, so she didn't bleed out where she was found. It had to have happened at a different location. There is a quote from Detective Lieutenant Jesse Haskins, who was on the scene the day the body was found, and he described the body as, quote, The body was laying with the head towards the north, the feet towards the south. The left leg was five inches west of the sidewalk. The body was lying face up, and the severed part was jogged over about 10 inches, the upper half of the body from the lower half. There was a tire track right up against the curbing, and there was what appeared to be a possible bloody heel mark in this tire mark and on the curbing which was very low there was one spot of blood and there was an empty paper cement sack lying in the driveway and it also had a spot of blood on it it had been brought there from some other location the body was clean and appeared to have been washed end quote So this case immediately got moved to the top priority list at the LAPD because of how horrific the murder was. And if you guys are really interested, you can look up online. There are pictures of the Black Dahlia and the body when it was found on the scene and how it looked. It is extremely horrific and gruesome and graphic. So that is just a fair warning, but they are out there if you want to see them. Um, So like I said, yeah, the case got pushed to the top priority list because of how horrific it was. And they were trying to. solve it as quickly as they could because it also got a lot of media attention and at first the lapd had no idea who this woman was she was unrecognizable at this point she had been cut in half and her mouth had been cut from one ear to the other but through fingerprint testing the fbi were able to identify this woman as 22 year old elizabeth short So there was an autopsy done on Elizabeth's body and the results showed that there was multiple lacerations to her face and her head. There was also multiple cuts in a crisscross pattern over her pelvis and what the autopsy was able to show is that most of what was done to Elizabeth was done after she had already passed away, including the cutting in half. So her being cut in half actually is a technique that had been taught in the 1930s called, and I am probably going to butcher this, a hemicor colectomy hemicolectomy something like that. And basically it's a surgery that removes the lower waist and transects the lumbar spine. So the autopsy found that there was very little bruising along where the incision was, which is what suggested that it had been done after she had already died. And she was also tested to see if there was any sexual assault, but the results came back negative. But something to note is that Elizabeth had been washed and cleaned before she had been placed in the park. So any DNA that could have been on Elizabeth also could have been washed away and her official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock due to concussion of the brain and lacerations of the face so like i said police were set out to solve this case and so was the media the herald express which was a newspaper in los angeles was owned by a man named william hurst So William had a really good team of reporters who discovered leads and what they thought was valuable evidence in the Elizabeth Short case, and William connected with the LAPD and told them that he was willing to share the information with them that he had, but it was going to cost them. He said that the Herald Express would continue investigating and would be granted exclusives, and in return, the LAPD would have access to all the information that the reporters uncovered, and the LAPD wasn't really happy about this at all, but they decided to accept their terms and they took the offer, which a lot of people to this day aren't too thrilled with because the Herald Express really sensationalized this case and didn't have the best intentions with it. Because this whole deal to begin with was so that the Herald Express would have exclusive content that other reporters and other newspapers wouldn't have. So one of the Herald Express writers was named Wayne Sutton and he was responsible for locating Elizabeth's mother to tell her what had happened to her daughter but he was also trying to get information on Elizabeth in the process. So this is kind of an example of not having the best intentions. So he actually called Elizabeth's mother to tell her that Elizabeth won a beauty contest in Los Angeles and wanted information on her. So when her mom heard this, she obviously was extremely excited and willing to give up as much information on Elizabeth as possible, but once he received all the information he needed, he actually broke the news to her of the real reason he was calling and told her what had happened to Elizabeth. So obviously now her mother Phoebe is just in complete shock. She was just told that her daughter had won a beauty contest and now is being told that her daughter has been murdered. So Phoebe did not believe him at first and she didn't believe him so much that the LAPD had to contact authorities where she lived and send them to Phoebe's house to tell her in person. I'm really interested, like I said, to to see what you guys think about how he kind of approached that because a lot of people had a lot of problems with that because It's just very inhumane considering the circumstances. So before we even move on more into this investigation, let's talk about why this case is even called the Black Dahlia in the first place. So when this murder first took place, there were people who referred to this case as the werewolf murder, but that didn't last too long. When Elizabeth lived in Long Beach, there was a specific drugstore that she would go to. And after her murder, the people in that drugstore had started nicknaming her the Black Dahlia because about nine months before her death, there had been a movie that came out called The Blue Dahlia. But since Elizabeth had black hair and always wore black clothes, they named her the Black Dahlia. And for whatever reason, to this day, it has just stuck with it. And on January 17th of 1947, just two days after Elizabeth's body was found, the Herald Express had included Elizabeth's photograph on the front page of their paper and referred to her as the Black Dahlia. So now, let's get back to the investigation. So police really had two theories starting off here. The first is that Elizabeth was murdered by a stranger and ran into the really wrong person at the wrong time, and the other is that it was someone that she knew. These were the two choices, obviously. And because of how intricate and brutal the murder was, police were thinking that it more so looked like it was someone that she knew because the murder definitely seemed more personal. An FBI profiler named John Douglas believed that the killer must have known Elizabeth pretty well and had some attachment to her. John Douglas believed that the level of violence inflicted on Elizabeth and the way that her body was left on display could be because the killer wanted the world to see Elizabeth and the wrongdoings that he believed that she did to him. And a man from the Herald Express named Dr. Paul DeRiver said that he believes that the murderer could have been a necrophiliac and that this person could be a sadist who wanted to dominate Elizabeth. So then there was an interesting call that came into the Examiner, which was another newspaper on January 23rd, 1947. So this is now a little over a week since Elizabeth's body was found, it's about eight days. So the person on the other line was a man who claimed that he was Elizabeth Short's killer. The editor on the other line was a man named J.H. Richardson, who worked for The Examiner. And this man basically told J.H. Richardson that he wasn't happy with how the story of the murder was being portrayed in the newspapers. Now listen, I think we all know that people a lot of times try to insert themselves in cases, and Elizabeth Short's case in general had a ridiculous amount of people who were coming forward claiming they were the killer. It was about 69 people, and only 22 of the 60 were considered suspects but this phone call kind of reminded me of the zodiac killer which happened about 20 years after elizabeth's murder but this person would call the police after he murdered his victims and also had communication with the newspapers and media outlets so it kind of reminded me of that when i was doing my research and anyways though this guy was reaching out saying that he was elizabeth's murderer and said that he would send elizabeth's belongings to the newspaper to prove that he was actually telling the truth so then the next day on january 24th the examiner got a package and a letter, and the letter was put together by magazine pieces, but it was what was inside the package that was completely shocking. So this package included Elizabeth's birth certificate, her business cards, pictures of her, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen written on the cover of the address book. And this is when Mark Hansen became a prime suspect in the Elizabeth short case. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Apartments.com's com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you apartments.com the place to find a place all right you guys welcome back So let's talk about Mark Hansen for a second. Mark was a nightclub owner of a club called Florentine Gardens that Elizabeth actually worked at on and off while she was in LA. And Mark had actually also owned a theater in Los Angeles and Elizabeth and Mark met and Mark let Elizabeth stay at his house several different times throughout 1946. Mark had a girlfriend named Anne who lived in the house and Anne and Elizabeth shared a room, which I didn't really understand because I didn't understand why Anne would share a bedroom with Elizabeth and not her boyfriend if they're living in the same house instead of sharing a room with Elizabeth. But police were able to figure out that the day that Elizabeth was last seen, Elizabeth actually called Mark. So police brought him in for questioning. And at first, police asked him about why there would be an address book with his name sent in from the quote unquote killer. And Mark said that the address book did belong to him, but he never used it and that he gave it to Elizabeth to use for herself. There were also rumors that Mark had tried to flirt with Elizabeth on multiple different occasions but Elizabeth was never into him so she pretty much just rejected him and Mark was a very well known man and he knew a lot of people and it just so happens that he ended up being linked to three other suspects in Elizabeth's case and those three men were Dr. Patrick O'Reilly, Dr. M.M. Schwartz, and Dr. Arthur McGinnis Fott. So Patrick O'Reilly was a medical doctor that Elizabeth had met through Mark, and Patrick was close friends with Mark, and the two of them would go to the same nightclubs together. He also went to Mark's nightclub a lot, and he was also known to go out with Mark to some sex parties around LA, and Patrick did not have the cleanest record. He was convicted of assault with a deadly weapon after he took his secretary to a motel and beat her to death. And he really had no other reason for this other than he had some sadist desire that he was trying to live out through her. So Patrick did have a history of violent and sexual crimes, but another big suspect in this case was Dr. George Hodel. So he was first accused of molesting his 14-year-old daughter in 1949, and this is what really put him on the map for being a suspect in the Black Dahlia case. So the LAPD put George under surveillance from February 18th, 1950 to March 27th of that same year, and they put two microphones in his house that were monitored by 18 different detectives. So through these recordings, they were able to hear George say, quote, realize there was nothing I could do, put a pillar over her head and cover her with a blanket, get a taxi, aspired 12:59. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now that they may have figured it out, killed her, end quote, he said. He then said, quote, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. So George's secretary actually died of an overdose, but after police heard this comment that George had made, they looked more into it and they found that George burnt some of his secretary's belongings after she died. So there was some stuff that he was really trying to get rid of before the police had anything to do with this. And the police dug further and they were able to find out that George's secretary was potentially planning to blackmail him and come forward with information about him misdiagnosing patients and billing them for lab tests, medical treatments, and prescriptions they didn't need. So police started to think that George could have gotten rid of his secretary before she had the chance to out him. George was also known to hang out with the socialites in Los Angeles. He partied a lot, did a lot of drugs, and in 1949, which was two years after Elizabeth's death, he was actually accused of incest, which is what brought him to the attention of the police, which is what ultimately put him in the lane of a possible suspect. But another big believer in George Hodel being the one who committed the murder of Elizabeth Elizabeth Short is actually George Hodel's son, Steve Hodel. So Steve was a former LAPD homicide detective and believes that Elizabeth could have been a victim of his father. There had been a report in 1951 where a woman who had lived with George Hodel named Lillian Denorick says that Elizabeth was one of George's girlfriends. She also said that George was a very frequent visitor of the Biltmore Hotel, which was the last place Elizabeth was seen. George had told his wife, and I know it gets kind of confusing with wives and girlfriends, but George had told his wife, Dorothy, that he had been out partying the night of the murder. So George ended up dying in 1999, but his son, Steve, has been determined to put the pieces together on this whole investigation and when he first started this he said that he wanted to do this to prove that his dad was innocent and wasn't responsible for the murder but he said he just kept following the evidence and it led him to believe different so his son came out with a book even and the book is called black dahlia avenger a genius for murder so steve said that this whole fascination started after his dad had died and he went through his dad's things and found two pictures in a photo album that looked exactly like elizabeth so the twist here is that elizabeth his family insists that the photos aren't Elizabeth. And out of the two photos, one girl has been identified, but the other picture with the other girl is still a mystery. And Steve does have a website if you want to look into all of that on everything that his investigation has brought. And that website is just stevehodel.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-H-O-D-E-L.com. So then Ed Burns is someone we should also talk about. So there was a book called The Black Dahlia Solution, and the author of this book claimed that the lapd actually knew who killed elizabeth short but couldn't come out and say it the author said that after he himself went and examined all the letters that had been sent to the herald express and the examiner he said that he believes that the murder is a man named ed burns Mind you though, this man who wrote this book is the only person to ever named Ed Burns as even a possible person of interest. So basically, this author said in the book that there was a serial killer in 1946 who had kidnapped and murdered a six-year-old girl and dismembered her body parts similar to how Elizabeth's were. And the guy who did it is named William Herons, and he was arrested for murder and confessed to two other murders from 1945 during his trial and was sentenced to three life terms in Illinois. But when all of this happened, Elizabeth read about it in the magazine and became obsessed with it. She was obsessed with the case and was following it and even went to the extent of telling people that she was a reporter and would tell people all about the case. And while this was happening, Elizabeth met a man who was allegedly named Ed Burns and Elizabeth and Ed did hit it off apparently, but it also was said that Ed wasn't the most attractive guy in the world. So Elizabeth kind of hid him from her friends, but it said that Elizabeth and Ed had gotten together in November of 1946. Elizabeth was so invested in this case so much so that she ended up idolizing the murderer William Herons more than Ed Burns himself. So the theory is that Ed was the one who murdered Elizabeth in the same way that William did so she could live out how he killed the six-year-old girl and then this time do that onto Elizabeth. The author of the book also says that he believes that all of the notes that were sent in by the murderer contained secret messages. On March fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven, there was an alleged suicide note left by the murderer that said, "To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary." The author said that the name Ed Burns can be spelled out in that note and the LAPD found the body of Ed Burns after he had committed suicide and from what the author said he believes that the LAPD couldn't pin the Black Dahlia murder on a man who had died not because it wasn't the truth but because of how infamous this case was and people wanted a better answer than that and wanted a better conclusion for that meaning that they wanted the person who was responsible of this to be found alive but because of that also a lot of people do believe it's a big question in this case whether or not it was a police cover-up but by february 1947 the lapd had sent a letter to the fbi asking them to look into the californian medical students because one thing that the police were able to confidently say is that whoever was responsible for this and whoever was the murderer clearly had some medical experience of some sort for elizabeth to have such a clean precise cut and have all of her blood be drained out and for them to go to the lengths that they did it had to be someone who knew what they were doing enough and knew about the human body enough to know how to follow through with the procedures like they did and by June the LAPD had eliminated 75 suspects and by the next year of December 1948 the suspect list was at 192 suspects. So that's only just a couple of suspects in this case there are so many different suspects obviously I only went through a couple of the main ones the list really goes on and on but I wanted to touch on a couple big ones like I said but there are still so many more. So what do we know in this case? We know that Elizabeth was last seen at the Biltmore Hotel and then wasn't seen again for six days when she was found dead in the park. No one knows what happened in between that time period other than the fact that Elizabeth endured severe torture, but no one knows where, no one knows with who, no one knows how she got there, who she went with. No, it's not like today's time period where we would have, you know, security cameras in hotel lobbies and we could see who she went off with. This is a totally different time period that we're Talking about. So, what is the answer here? The answer is that this is still unsolved, and to this day, no one knows the real truth about what happened to Elizabeth Short. This is one of those cases that may never have a real answer, and we may never figure out what happened to Elizabeth because it was so long ago. I really hope that because of the advancements in DNA testing and technology, that maybe there is a chance that this could be solved one day. But with how many suspects there are and how many unanswered questions there are, It is one of those cases that makes you wonder if it'll be a mystery forever and I would love to get your guys's opinion on that. So definitely let me know. Either DM me at Savannah Brimer or you can send me an email with also you can send me your case requests. My email is just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. I hope you guys enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Black Dahlia today. I would love, like I said, to get your guys's opinion on it. But I will see you tomorrow for another episode of Hollow Week. It is episode three of halloween tomorrow and i can't wait to see you there so make sure you are subscribed and like this podcast and that way you never miss an episode and with that being said you guys i will see you tomorrow and stay safe